So do keep that open. We'll look at that together. Let's pray, shall we, as we look at this first of the Psalms this evening. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for Jesus, the living word. And we pray that as we read your uh, word tonight, as we read in your law, that you'll instruct us, show us Christ, fill us with gratitude for him, restore us as your people, equip us to walk your way and know you watching over us every step. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have come across the Psalms before, you might know there are 150 of them in this book of the Bible we call Psalms, and they are very rich. They're full of every emotion that human beings have come across, everything from joy to sorrow and from confidence to fear. Um, They describe the searchings, the faith of God's people, going through all of the circumstances that life throws at us. Many people here may have a favourite psalm. Um, For a lot of people I come across, it's often Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want, and so on. But when we look at this first psalm that we're looking at tonight... The first of a series of nine, we'll look at the first nine over these summer weeks. Psalm 1 seems a little different, doesn't it? Um, It's not so much about um, fear and trusting in God in difficult times, or about thankfulness simply for God's protection um, over us. It's a little different. Uh, And that's probably for a reason which we'll come to, uh, because Psalm 1 with Psalm 2 do seem to the experts to be like sort of title psalms. Um, the sort of heading psalms that introduce the whole of the book, the other 148 of them. So, for instance, um, there are words here like blessed that come at the end of Psalm 1, sorry, the beginning of Psalm 1, the end of Psalm 2. The theme of blessings, a big theme in the psalms. Righteous, we've seen the word righteous there. That's also uh, the idea of a righteous person, a big common theme through many of the other psalms, the righteous and the wicked in contrast. So there are themes there that this psalm introduces. Um, But let's just ask another question, because I think there's an even deeper um, reason this psalm's here. If I could ask this question, who are the psalms for? And you say, well, the Psalms, they're for everyone. We all love the Psalms. We read them, we pray them, they mean a lot to us. Please, you know, just just for us all, aren't they? Simple. And in one sense, that's absolutely true. Um, But just come with me, listen to me for a few minutes now, because uh, over the last year or two, I've been doing a bit of reading in the Psalms and reading other people have written about the (laughs) Psalms. And I think there's an even deeper meaning, significance in these Psalms for us than certainly I had really seen before. It's something that puzzled me. And I just want to spend a couple of minutes showing this to you now to see if it convinces you too. You see, there are days when you read a psalm and you think, yes, I I could pray every line of that from the heart myself. That's me. But aren't there some parts of the psalms where you think, ooh, that's not really me? Even in tonight's psalm, it starts off, blessed is the one, the man, who doesn't walk uh, with the counsel of the wicked and doesn't stand the way of 
sin isn't. And you think, yep, yeah, um, that's sometimes true of me, but actually, if I'm honest, not always. I've sometimes walked in the ways of the wicked. I've sinned, putting it simply. Um, I've spent time in the company of mockers. I've given in to unhelpful peer pressure. And you think, well, I can't always really pray these psalms because they're about someone that's, that's more godly than I am, if I'm honest. And you read psalms like in Psalm 7, verse 8, the psalmist writes, Vindicate me, O Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity, my righteousness. And you think, well, I can't say that. My righteousness can't vindicate me because I'm a mixture of, of good and evil, of um, goodness and sin. God has to vindicate me because of Jesus' righteousness, not mine. So you begin to think, well, in that sense, the Psalms, not in every Psalm, but parts of the Psalms, are not for everyone. There are bits of these Psalms I can't really simply pray as if they are my prayers. They seem to be from someone else's mouth who's not me. Does that make sense so far? You with that? Um, So two further steps, just to, to see where I think this can go. First clue is this. The author of many of the Psalms is King David. So many of the Psalms have a Psalm of David in the title. Again, Psalms 1 and 2 being title. Title Psalms don't. But King David is the author of many. So that's very simply says to us, doesn't it? Every Psalm, we might say, is written by a king. Uh, or, or by the, the musicians here pointed to write Psalms after him. The Psalms come across as the songs of a king, the songs for a king, the songs about a king. Psalm 2, we'll see next week, is a really good example of that. So they're about a king, they're David's, they're royal psalms, they're songs from the royal household. They're not just, in that sense, for everyone. Don't panic if you think, help, you're taking the psalms away. I thought, because we will, don't worry, we'll still pray them. But second step on this one, Hebrews 2 Hebrews 2, verse 12, um, why not just turn to that with me now, is a quote, as I've put on the screen there, from Psalm 22, which is a psalm of David. Hebrews 2, verse 12, page 1202, if you've got a church read Bible. The quote here is pretty much straight from the Hebrew of Psalm 22, verse 22 of Psalm 22. The footnote will tell you. And it says, he says, verse 12, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And that, if you flick back at Psalm 22 later, you can check. That's pretty much a straight quote from Psalm 22. And who wrote those words in Psalm 22? I've just told you this. King David. So those are David's words. What does Hebrews 11, the end of that verse, say? He says, who is the he of Hebrews 2? Jesus. Jesus, in Hebrews 2, is speaking the words of Hebrews 2, verse 12. The words of David in Psalm 22 are not, therefore, just David's words. Hebrews says they're Jesus' words. Jesus speaks the Psalms. Or put another way, the Psalms are not really all all about King David at all. They're not simply David's songs, they're Jesus' songs. They're songs written about Jesus, 
the anointed king, or for Jesus, to praise him, the anointed king, or towards, to him, Jesus, the anointed king. So they're Jesus' psalms, Jesus' prayers, Jesus' songs, before they are yours and mine. And we can, you'll be glad to know, still pray them. We should still pray them. They're the songbook of the Bible. How? Well, because as believers in Christ, we now stand in him. If you're a Christian, you can pray Psalm 1, Psalm 2, any of the Psalms, any of those words, not in your own strength, but because Christ has prayed them, sings them, means them. He's the righteous one. And so I can sing about being righteous because he's been righteous for me. He's done it for me. So, who sings the Psalms? Well, we all do. Don't worry, we all do. But... We only sing them because Jesus sang them, sings them first. We're reading words with the Psalms that Jesus himself said and prayed and read in his time on earth, and back through David, his prophet, by the Spirit, Jesus actually wrote them. He gave David those words. So we're going to dive into Psalm 1 now and see both what this Psalm just says to us today, but also how does it affect the meaning of this psalm, to read it as a psalm of Jesus or about Jesus and not simply about any old person. So three themes, three um, sections of this psalm. Uh, here's the first one. The direction. The psalm, back in Psalm 1 now, um, if you're with me still, on page 943. Uh, 543, Psalm 1. The direction of the Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. That word blessed there, literally, it could just be the word happy. It really is, this psalm, as a number of places where this word appears in the psalms, it's about a happy life, a blessed life. And and the happy person, the, the blessed person, we're told, is someone who doesn't walk in step with the wicked, stand in the way sinners walk, or sit in the company of mockers, scoffers. In the Bible, that's usually people that that scoff at God. It's tempting to think that there's a kind of progression from sin into worse sin to worse sin with those three things there, uh, walking, uh, standing, sitting. That's probably not really the sense here, but there's certainly the idea here that you and I, if we're going the wrong direction, we're capable of sinning in our thoughts. That's the idea of of walking, walking, with the wicked, in our actions, that's the thing about standing where sinners walk, getting involved with what they're doing, and associating in their company, sitting in the seats of mockers. So thinking, acting, and who we associate with. Those are three areas of life that you and I, if we're not going in the right direction, can sin, can fall away from God. So it's, it's just saying... We're quite creative about how we walk away from God when we choose to do so. We've got three, at least three ways we do it. So for the person who does that, who does not go God's way, the unrighteous person, there are three ways of doing that. And this psalm is celebrating someone positively now, 
who is not doing any of those three things. You see that? Blessed is the man who does not, does not, does not. This person does not fall into any of those traps, show any of those three ways of thinking, of acting, and of associating. Verse 2, positively, if that's what he doesn't do, what can we say positively about his direction? Well, verse 2 says, but his delight, what he loves to do instead, is in the law of the Lord. And on it he meditates day and night. His delight is in the law of the Lord. The word law there means, um, as it usually does in the Old Testament, not so much laws like laws of cricket, important as those are. Um, It simply means like instruction, guidance. Guidance for how to live a, a rich, blessed, happy, fulfilled, healthy life. Instruction from God, though. Not just instructions like how to assemble your flat pack wardrobe without it falling over, but instructions for how to live a life that lives under God's blessing. So this person delights in the instruction, the guidance, the law of the Lord, which for the psalm writer would have been probably the whole Old Testament as it was then. For us, it's, it's the Bible in our language. It's the scriptures. Delighting in them because of the truth they reveal and because of the shape of life which they begin to produce, as we'll come on to. Guidance for our wisdom and our blessing. And he meditates on it, doesn't he? Day and night. Again, I think, well, I've tried meditating on Scripture and I read the Bible quite a lot whenever I can, but I can't do it day and night. It's one of those examples of a verse you think, oh, I could never really pray that. That's not me. And the word includes not just uh, inside my head meditating, but apparently it's the idea of muttering, speaking, repeating it. Sometimes we'll see Orthodox Jews reading the scriptures out loud to themselves. It's that kind of thing here. Like, you know, when someone, I'm on the phone, I haven't got a pen and paper, and someone says, I'll give you my number. And I'm, I'm kind of going, they give it to me, and I have to kind of repeat it to myself and go and find the paper and pen to write it down before I forget it. It's that kind of muttering. In other words, memorizing it. Take it to heart, not just reading it and moving straight on. That's the direction of the righteous person, delighting in God's instruction and take it to heart, memorising it in order to live it. So when we moved last summer, all up here from London, um, it it was a big culture shock for us moving from all of our family, uh, friends, our church family, all our links and roots back in London to here. Um, And one of the things I think it's fair to say that's kept us going as a family is having the scriptures to keep reading every day. Um, Because they stabilise you. They direct you. Um, And and, uh, without that, we may well have found it even more difficult, I think, to make that move without the stability the scriptures gave because reading them day by day is a habit which forms and directs our lives. And reading this psalm as a psalm now about Jesus, what does that mean? I've just said, haven't I? The psalms are all written for, about, towards Jesus, the anointed King of God. What does that mean for us here? Well, I think it liberates me from thinking, I've got to do this. 
I don't have to go home tonight thinking, oh, the, the preacher tonight told me to go and meditate on the Bible every day, day and night, and take it all in and live this all out and live a righteous life. Now, that is where the gospel takes us towards a change of life. The gospel is costly um, to our lives. It's not just, as it were, grace, free grace. But what if this psalm is really, first of all, about Jesus and not, first of all, about me? What if Jesus is the righteous man of this psalm, first of all? What if he is the righteous one of all of the psalms that speak of the righteous? What if he is the one who really did in his life on earth meditate moment by moment on the words of God his Father and take them to heart and live them out as he did? What if he was the one who didn't give in to thinking the way that wicked people think or walking in the way, acting in the way that wicked people act or sitting in the seat where mockers sit? What if that's all about him? who lived a perfect life for me. Isn't that good news? Doesn't that set me free from just thinking, oh, this psalm's telling me to go and try harder? (coughs) So, Psalm 1, I think, should make me, first of all, simply say, thank you, Lord, that you are the righteous one. This first psalm is telling me, this is a songbook about Jesus and about the life he lived because he knew that I couldn't live that life without his help. It's a psalm about Jesus, first of all, the supreme example of what living out Psalm 1 looks like. And of course then, as someone, if if you're a Christian here this evening already, as someone who's in Christ, it then makes me, doesn't it, begin to ask him to help me to begin to live this out too. That's the point of the gospel. It changes our lives. To say to him, Lord, give me a hunger to meditate on your, on your Lord day and night like you did. Let it shape and frame my life. Give it me a direction like you have got. Because it's a good question, isn't it, just to think as I, as I take this away this evening, what does drive my life? Am I driven by the way that the world around me thinks, the social media that I read, um, the company I keep? And is that leading me in a direction towards God or away from him? It's an important question, isn't it? And to ask, Lord, help me to go your way instead. And we just heard, haven't we, from Jana about one little idea for daily reading of the scripture um, and how to encourage each other with that. Why not um, try that idea that Joanna shared or have a look at that resources table afterwards, pick up something that's going to help you to become a little bit more like Jesus in meditating daily on the word of God and being directed by it. So is that okay so far? That's the direction of the righteous one, the first couple of verses. And then secondly, the description of the righteous one. This is verses three to five. And here we get the picture of the tree. Before we look at that, there is a a word, a four, that links the beginning of verse three with what's gone before. Now because... You don't just become what Psalms verses 3 onwards say by accident. We become like this because of learning to live how verses 1 and 2 have shown us to live. So it's through delighting in the law, living out God's instruction, that this becomes what we look like. The description follows from the direction. Does that make sense? 
So what is the description? Well, it's a tree, isn't it? That person will be, the, the psalm says, like a living tree, planted by streams of water. So it's got what I've called stability. It's planted. Um, it's bearing fruit, yielding its fruit in season. So it's got the life, the vitality of the water. It's got the productivity of the fruit it's producing. Its leaf does not wither. So it's got durability. It doesn't dry up, unlike some of the plants around us in this drought at the moment. So it's got durability, and whatever he does, or it does, prospers. It's got prosperity, it's, it's fruitful, it's healthy. It's a great picture, a beautiful picture, isn't it? Um, and that's actually a picture of the Jordan River. Um, because I, I guess at the moment it's more apparent here even. But in the Middle East, certainly, you are all too aware, aren't you, in a hot climate like that, of how a tree, unless it's got a constant water supply, will just shrivel and die. But there by the Jordan River, you can see their trees are flourishing, planted by streams of living water. So that's a fantastic picture, isn't it? This is what the righteous person looks like. That's the description. Stability, vitality, productivity, durability, prosperity. A fantastic, beautiful tree. And you go, yeah, but hang on. That's not what life for God's people necessarily looks like, is it? Haven't you heard that things go wrong? People get disappointed, people get ill, and so on. Um, That isn't always what Christian life looks like, is it? Why is the psalm not honest about that? And it's a good question. And yes, later psalms address some of those issues. They do say, why do the wicked prosper sometimes? Why do good people sometimes have a difficult time? So the psalms later do pick that up very honestly. And yes, we need to remind ourselves tonight, God's kingdom... His blessing upon his people who come under the rule of Christ, it's coming, it's begun, but it isn't complete yet. That's why we experience um, losses and disappointments and so on. But I guess if this psalm, this short psalm, launching the whole of the book of Psalms, spent its time with the buts and the howevers and the caveats like that, it would lose its clarity and its beauty, wouldn't it? So, This psalm just gives us this fantastic, ideal picture of the righteous life and what it looks like. Then comes the contrast in verse 4. That's the righteous person. That's what they look like. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Very brief, isn't it? I don't know if you know what chaff is. Chaff is the the kind of husk of, of, of wheat when it's being harvested and again, in, in the Mediterranean in those days, they're thrown in the air, in the wind, and the kernel, the wheat that you wanted, falls to the ground, the husk, the chaff, just blows away. It's dust, basically. It's empty, it's light, it's nothing. And that's the point, isn't it? To be someone that is not walking God's way is to be like chaff, to be weightless, to be like dust. It's all your life is. And I guess, what more can you say about chaff? That's why it's such a brief description. Chaff is chaff. Dust is dust. 
The Bible teacher Dale Ralph Davis tells a story of someone called Horace Greeley. He was editor of the New York Tribune for 30 years back in the sort of um, mid-1800s. And he apparently was like a humanist. He believed that we're essentially good people. Uh, He wasn't a Christian. And he spent all his years trying to sort of build communes where people just lived together and and tried to love each other. Um, He apparently preached about free love long before the Beatles did. Um, but none of the causes he supported lasted or succeeded. Um, he then stood to be U.S. president in 1872. Disastrous campaign. Um, and after that disastrous campaign, he wrote this. He said, I stand before God, the most hopelessly wretched and undone of all who ever lived. I've done more harm and wrong than anyone who saw the light of day. I take God as my witness that I never intended to harm anyone, but that's no excuse. It's quite a shock, isn't it, um, to realise that your, your life has been weightless, empty. And to realise not just that um, you've tried and failed, but you're effectively chaff. It's a very honest word, wasn't it? And chaff, verse 5, also has uh, this fate, verse 5, They will not stand, the wicked will not stand in the place of judgment, nor in the assembly of the righteous. The wicked won't stand in the judgment, or the sinners in the assembly of the righteous. It simply means, literally, the wicked will not have a leg to stand on. They won't be able to stand or collapse before human justice, before divine justice, ultimately. They'll collapse in the place of justice, and they'll be expelled from among God's people. They won't be allowed to stay in the assembly of the righteous, the righteous in Christ. So, what's this mean for us, this description? Well, again, let's just take it to Jesus first. Jesus, he's that healthy, beautiful, fruitful tree. He is the righteous one of this psalm, I am suggesting, first of all. He is the one who is righteous for all of us. You know, just as um, in the football, you know, it had to be Jordan Pickford that saved that penalty. No one else could do it. He had to do it for the nation, didn't he, really? Um, he saved us all. He saved the world, one of the newspaper headlines was. <laughs> Jesus alone could be the one to be righteous for us and to be life-giving for us, to be stable for us, to be fruitful for us so that in him we can then become righteous and durable and healthy and fruitful. Jesus is the one. We should praise him tonight for his faithful, fruitful life. We should thank him that though none of us, me included, is righteous by our own deeds, none of us deserves to be there in the assembly of God's people, none of us is in our own strength life-giving, because we need the life of God to be given to us first, Jesus has done that for us and shared that with us. But again, I guess secondly, this description of the, of the chaff, the wicked, that really arrests you, it stops you, doesn't you think, well, what about that person in my family, person at work, person at college, person at school, that doesn't yet know Jesus? What about them? Are they really chaff? The psalm is saying, um, whoever they are, however amazing they may be in lots of ways, 
Anyone's life is chaff unless they find fruitfulness in Christ. So it makes me want to pray, I think, doesn't it, for someone I know. And it could be even people here this evening. Um, and we're realising that, that you know, we've been in church a bit. Actually, we're not in Christ yet. We need his righteousness and his fruitfulness to give us life so that we can flourish in Christ as well. So that's the description of the righteous that comes from the direction of the righteous. And then just lastly and very briefly, the destiny of the righteous one. Verse 6. So verse 6 says this. Summing up, really, the psalm. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The Lord watches the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. There's that contrast again. Two paths with different destinies. There's a great promise there, isn't there, that the Lord sees the way of his righteous one, which, as we've begun to see, is especially referring to Christ. The Lord watched over Christ as he walked on earth, as he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, as he was arrested and went through his trial and went to execution and was raised again. The Lord watched over the way of his righteous one all the way and raised him. But also the Lord watches over the way of us today as we walk in Christ. It's a great, great promise, isn't it, for us. But the way the wicked will perish, the word there, it's, it's like a kind of one of those paths that that winds off into the wilderness and then just sort of peters out nowhere. We're back to the chaff, empty, pointless, weightless. The way of the wicked will perish, will go to nothing. However well-meaning someone is, there's no legacy to leave behind that matters. There's nothing substantial to take with them or to leave behind. You'd almost never know they were there. That's the sense, isn't it? The way the wicked will perish. Jesus spoke about two ways. I've put the cross-reference there on the screen. Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. Um, famous verses from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said that there are two ways, just as the psalm is saying. There is the broad way that many choose, but it leads to destruction. And there is the narrow way, the righteous way, those in Christ that few choose, but it leads to life. Jesus chose the narrow way so that in him we could begin to do the same thing. And it may be this evening that we simply want to thank the Lord for being the one that this psalm is talking about for us. The righteous one, the fruitful tree, the one whose way perfectly went the way of the Lord who watched over him. Maybe someone here, though, you're, you're reading this psalm and you're realising, actually, that you do have a choice to make. That you've been going so far in another direction from that of the Lord. That you haven't been walking his way, trusting in Christ, knowing his righteousness, experiencing his life to this point. It could be even this evening is the moment for you to make that change of direction with his help. To come back to him, to receive his righteousness and to receive his life as he pours it into you and me forever. So I'm going to pray a prayer in a moment which will be one that if, if that's you, you can join in with this evening.
um, as we all pray as well. You see, we'll look at the next psalm next week, Psalm 2, as we begin this series tonight. And I think we're going to see with these songs that we sing these songs gratefully, joyfully, because Jesus, the righteous king, sang them first. And we pray these psalms because Jesus, the righteous king, has prayed them first. We listen to them because they're about him supremely. And we come as his people together, Sunday by Sunday, because he, in his righteousness, has made that possible that we could assemble in confidence before the throne of justice. We walk today, if we're Christians, under God's watchful care. That's the promise. Why? Well, because Jesus, the rightful king, the righteous king, has walked there already through trial and to life in eternity. So let's pray together. You want to pray that uh, the Lord will help each one of us to see Christ as he is in this psalm with grateful hearts as the righteous one as the, the blessed servant of God who meditates on your word who walks your way and who bears your fruit And to pray that you'll help us, if we're followers of Christ already, to, to know with confidence that we are made new in him. That we might begin to live this way and follow his pattern and know his life. May that direction be ours and that description be a description of us too. And that destiny of ways over which you watch be ours too. And a prayer for anyone among us here that wants to come back to the Lord tonight, perhaps even for the very first time. Lord Jesus, we thank you that though we have not always walked your way, we've listened and thought and done things that came from the world and not from you. That you came and lived among us and lived a perfect life. That as the righteous one, you meditated on and delighted in and put into practice the words of God every moment of your life, even to death on the cross for us. Thank you that as you walked for us before the Lord, that you were raised to new life and now you reign on the throne. May we receive your forgiveness your spirit of life, that we might know you and be made more like you day by day until the day when we assemble before you as your people in glory. In Jesus' name, amen.